Welcome back in listeners to a fun-filled episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have a very great guest for you today. Joining us is Billy Mitchell, who is the creator of Villain de Blanks, a monthly show currently playing at Green Room 42. Their upcoming show is Tuesday, October 18th, um, and their proceeds are benefiting Reading is Fundamental. And I mean, already out the gate, that's fantastic. But wait until you hear about the show. This is unique and fun-filled and great. So, Billy, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I am so happy to have you here because when you reached out and you sent me the the blurb about your show, I mean, it's like nothing I've ever heard about here in New York. I mean, I've heard of, you know, stand-up. I've heard of improv. I've heard Not this, though. And I was like, where has this been? I want to <laughs> I want to drink right now and I want to sit back and I want to enjoy because it's not what I love is this isn't just a one like one lane show. You, you've combined several thing, things. So why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your show? Um, it, it, it's hard to break it down into parts. So I, I, you just cut me off when you're done listening to me ramble. <laughs> I, I wrote the show originally um, about a decade or more ago. Um, um, when I was writing a season of children's theater, I wrote a few seasons of children's theater out in Jersey City. Um, and I have always been a language nerd. I'm a word nerd. That's just who I am. Um, and Jersey City uh, elementary schools have an awful lot of languages. There's an off, there's, a, there's a huge ESL program with various uh, sort of mother tongues out there. And I thought, well, it's kind of fun because parts of speech are like the spinach of vocabulary. It's like, what's a noun? What's a verb? It's like, how do you make that fun? It's like, when I was a kid, Mad Libs made it fun. Like Mad Libs was the best. Um, and there's not a nine-year-old boy alive that doesn't want to look at an adult and say fart because that's the best thing in the world. So I, at the time, was uh blessed in all caps with a group of actor friends who would literally do anything I wrote. Um, and so I told them I had this idea. I want to do this Mad Libs thing, which means you don't really get a script, which means you have to be ready to for anything. And uh, there's a structure to it, but um, you know, we're going to see how it goes. And they were like, well, okay. Um, and so as I wrote it, we would rehearse it. And when we rehearsed it in a room full of only adults, the words became a little bit beyond fart. Um, the words mm -hmm. got bluer and bluer as the day went along. Um, and then, you know, we cleaned it up and then we did it on Saturday mornings for the kids and it was delightful and we had a great time uh, and it was awesome. And then, you know, we ran it a couple of seasons and then that was the end. Um, and a few years later, I was like, this would be really fun in a two drink room. Like this would be a fun cabaret space. It's not hard, but it's difficult to explain. But the evening, um, which I say to the cast every single time, is the beginning of the evening is the clicking part of the roller coaster. And then once they all take their seats at the stands, it is just the ride. And then you're just on a ride for the next 45 minutes. And it really, really, really is super fun. And there are nights when it is just the filthiest thing you've ever sat through. There are nights when it's like Mensa words and Jeopardy words. And you're like, who's doing this? Um, and then there are nights when it's a combination of things. Uh, and then there's always everyone's favorite, you know, actor nightmare thing where people will flip two pages and then shenanigans ensue and, you know, everything gets derailed for a minute and then we kind of pull it all back on. Um, but yeah, so the, the show itself, um, is kind of a mashup. I, I, I say it's like a Mad Libs whodunit. So the script is, um, a very broad whodunit 
sort of murder mystery. Um, although the the uh, the victim was uh, smothered last week under some number of pounds of some kind of dessert, so even with adults, it's still very you know it's friendly and goofy and light. It's not you know, there's nothing tragic about it. Um, but so th the cast comes out, they gather words in their scripts. The scripts are about a third full of blanks. Um, if you think villain to blanks, it sounds a little like fill in the blanks. Um, so that's kind of, that's where I got them. Um, and, uh, and so they come out with the scripts, they wander around the room, they circulate that you get to meet all of the stars of the show. And then they get up on stage and then they do a cold read for about a half an hour of the script that was, you know, created by audience uh, in input. And then we have a vote where we, you know, we try to decide which of the six cast members done it. Uh, and then I am usually my stage manager, George, run around the room collecting ballots. And then I count them live with the audience. They all count it with me. We sling them in the air. It's delightful. Um, and then there's like a quick little uh, confession for whoever has been voted guilty. Um, so and that's that's basically the evening. It's like a three act evening. They get words. They read a script. We have a big reveal. That's that's the that's the night. I love it. That is my <laughs> kind of evening. It's It's just laid back fun and you never know what you're going to get you could go yeah. to like two different shows not going to be the same completely Correct. i still to this day this part of it while meeting with you is delightful the selling tickets part of it is rough like trying to get anyone to notice something in the very very loud arena of broadway and times square and off broadway and cabaret rooms and all that even green room um, ben Rimmelower, who's uh, booking the green room now, he invited me to do this. And he's like, well, how often do you want to do it? And I was like, look, I tried doing it weekly once and it it exhausted me. And I do it as benefits. Like the reason I do the benefits is I get an A-level cast. We have an amazing night. And then we donate the proceeds to someone who deserves it. So the very first, the first three I ever did in the city were for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. Um, and I, out of the gate, I had Nancy Opal, I had Leslie Margarita, I had Christopher Sieber, I had um, I, Bernard Dotson, I got Brenda Braxton, I got all of these just amazing people um, because it's a benefit and it's fun. They don't have to warm up. They don't have to bring their songbook. There's no sound check. There's no mic check. They show up, they order a scotch, they sit down, they read, they spit on the script because they're laughing and red wine has literally shot out of Brenda's nose. She'd be so mad I told that story. Um, <laughs> But it, it is, it is, it, it can get completely cuckoo, you know, it really, really can. Um, but it's always fun. So even the nights when the audience is more tame or some of the cast are a little less gregarious, I'm still laughing. Like it's still fun. And then there are the nights when, you know, when alchemy happens, which is any piece of theater where you've got six people up there who are just nailing it to the wall and you've got an audience who were there with mischief on their mind and it was just and it's you know it, combinations happen um like any kid who ever played mad libs in the back of the car or on a plane trip or wherever like you know what can go wrong he says in air quotes with mad libs uh mm -hmm. and ideally that happens every night so it's 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 kind of a scream yeah and, you know, speaking of the cast, you, you sent me the cast coming up and I just want to mention a few of the names because this is insane. You've got Randy Graff, who people might've seen recently in Mr. Saturday night, yep. uh, Jennifer Van Dyke, who um, the confessions of Lily Dare and the lady Hamlet, Jennifer Carr, um, Geneva Carr, Geneva Carr. Yep. Uh, Geneva Carr, excuse me. Uh, yep. from Hand of God, who I, did you just mention about the red wine? Am I crazy? I might've gotten names. I, that was Brenda. 
The Thank red you. wine was Brenda. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I'm horrible. It's all good. Well, and I'm word salad. So we're, we're, Mark we're good Kudish, Yep. You know, uh, girl from the North Country, hand to God. I saw him also in nine to five. Yes. Uh, Arnie Burton. Uh, Arnie from Burton Peter is Star Catcher in 39 Steps. And then Todd, I'm going to botch his name. Buona Pane. I'll say it for you. Buona Pane. You so it's much. nice and Italian. Like think of an Italian menu. Because I said, is it Buona Pane? And he just looked at me and grimaced. I was like, okay, you tell me how to say your name. Uh, yeah, Todd Bonapane. Between the six of them, they have done 40 Broadway shows. Yeah, these um, are it's not no just joke. like struggling actors are like, oh, my big brick. These are these are people that you could easily go right over, get a ticket at any of these 41 houses on Broadway and see. Yes. This is yeah. incredible. And and getting six of them to do one of my monthly shows easily involves 65 to 85 emails of me just saying, are you all available on this date? Because the, the nice thing to blow my own horn for a moment, most like I'm going to say 99% of the people who have done this show over the last seven years would do it again in a heartbeat. But all of them also need paid work. So they're all working. Um, so the nice thing is I know I can get repeat offenders. But the thing that's exciting for me is when I also get new people. So Randy and Mark and Geneva and Todd for this cast have all done it before. Arnie and Jennifer are completely new. The cast in September, six completely new people had never done it before. The cast coming up in November, I think only one of them has done it before and the other five are going to be new to the show. And it's just such a fun mix of energy. Um, because like you said uh, before, I think you said, it, it's it's a little bit like improv, but you've got the safety net of a script. Like there is a script in your hand. There is a story there. So if things start to go off the rails, it's easy to be like, oh, we're on page 26 in the middle. It's your line. You can't always write the ship right. um, versus some improv, which can, you know, spiral wildly off stage. And then, and then you're just, just sitting there awkward. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> someone, someone yell blackout. Exactly. Um, but yeah. So this, this is nice in that there is, I do make fun of my own writing. I call it the most dramaturgically watertight uh, story you're going to see this evening. Um, but yeah, it is It is a wide, broad, goofy uh, array of characters, array of incidents. Um, and it's just made even crazier because I left holes in so many parts of it. So like the audience gets to chime in. We have international audiences that give words like that they have to explain to the actors. Oh we my God, have, that's amazing. We have very, very filthy people who sometimes still say things they have to explain to the actors. We have people who have amazing vocabularies um, who still say things they have to explain to the actors. We have actors who get up on stage and can't read their own handwriting. We have actors who, because the room is dark when they're filling in the script, will sometimes turn two pages and live in front of us, you just watch them gasp for air while they fill in five words that they missed. It, it, it is, there is a lot of live theater going on, um, but it's not truly improv. It does, it definitely has some guidance to it, which I think helps me get cast members. If yeah. you were just showing up for an evening of improv, I think some people are afraid of that. Yeah. Um, Cause it's, it's a skill set. Like improv is improv is hard. Yeah. Um, and improv isn't something where, Oh, I did it once in high school. I'm great at it now. Like that is not any more than, Oh, I sang Javert in high school. I'm great at it now. It's like, maybe you shouldn't have done it in high school. <laughs> um, but like it, these are people who are at the top of their game. A lot of them, which I didn't realize until I had moved to the city and started meeting more, like uh, regular working professional actors. And you're like, oh, they're in a Broadway show. What do they do all day long? 
these are the hardest working human beings you will ever meet in your life. The Broadway show is not always their bread and butter, especially if in their ensemble. Um, but like the Broadway show is literally the thing they get to say, this is what I'm doing now. And that helps them book a commercial that helps them book a workshop that helps them book an audio book. Um, oh, side note, nothing to do with me. If you're a Harry Potter fan, do the audiobooks of Harry Potter read by Jim Dale, and you will forget the movies happened. He voices these characters. Jim Dale is also like, I mean, the man is a god, but he he char he characterizes these things purely through voices. And it is it, it, the main three characters. There's a handful of characters you can't scrub from your brain, but like the books come to life in a way that is just so unique and specific to him. Anyway, so voice actors commercial actors, all these people are working all day long. And uh, and then to get them to say yes to this, it's like, okay. Um, Nancy Opal, who I already called out once, she was the very, very first show I did in the city was Barrett Foa, Ryan Redman, Bobby Cronin, Leslie Margarita, Nancy Opal, and Bernard Dotson. They were the first six. And if you go to Villain of Blanks and do like the how-to video, they're the six people that are up there. Um, Nancy had done a two-show day in Cinderella because Cinderella was still on Broadway. This was probably seven years ago or so. She had a, a matinee, an evening. She showed up in yoga pants and a purple V-neck T-shirt. She's like, this is what you get. I'm like, I've got Nancy Opal. This is all I need. Like, And we what, laughed our tails off. Um, so I just, I, I, yeah, it, it's, it has been a joy for me to do. Um, would I like to make money? I'd love to. Would I love to do a tour of this thing through some colleges? I would love to. Would I love to see this thing grow roots elsewhere? Absolutely, yes. Um, but these shows monthly at the Green Room are all about coming in, laughing, and giving back to the folks at Ref. Now, does your script change month to month or is it the same script? The script has evolved a bit since I started doing these. It is the same script right now. Um, it, it, so at some point, I had, I had planned to do it for this month. It hasn't happened. At some point in the next couple of months, I will uh, sort of unveil um, a second script called Space Hole. Um, which is sort of a space-themed version of, of Villain de Blanks. It's the same overall structure, but it's a space theme. I have a version of that script that we did once a few years ago. I think we did it maybe a total of three times. And as I said, what makes this so easy for the performers is they show up, they read, and you know we get laughs, they get words, and it's great. And there's always some shenanigans, but it's a fairly straightforward evening. And where I went wrong with my script is I made it more like a radio play. So you would have your lines and it would say, instead of a, a, a brown t-shirt, it would say an adjective t-shirt or a brown article of clothing. But then also you might say, the doors open for so-and-so. 
And what happened is it was too confusing on the fly for the first time reading a script to alternate between missing words in a real line and parentheticals that were stage directions and then actual stage directions that are very minimal, but there's some in the script. Like it was just too, I was asking a lot for no rehearsal. And what makes this thing fun is the no rehearsal part. Like the fact that you're watching, you know, Tony winners up there just, you know, fighting for their life against people who are, you know, it, it is literally amazing to me. But the the thing that levels the playing field is everyone gets the script the night of. Now, there are people who have done it five and six times, but they don't do it five or six times in a row. They could have done it two times in 2017, and then they're doing it again, you know, this month or whatever. So, like, even though they've done it before, that doesn't mean I've given them the same role. And it doesn't mean that they really remember the night well enough to have much of an advantage, except to know that they can let their guard down and play. Like that's probably the biggest advantage from having done it before is they know that they're allowed to just play. Oh, so much fun. Oh, so much fun. <laughs> I'm going to ask this question anyway, and I'm not ask sure if there is an answer, but is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences leave with? Oh, I don't know. What did I just say? Let go and have fun? Probably let go and have fun. I mean, the it came from a really organic place. So 2020 hindsight, if you're an audience member and you're coming because 30 years ago, you saw Randy Graff be Fontaine for the first time ever on Broadway. She originated the role or because you saw her win a Tony Award for City of Angels or you saw her in the nine things she's done since then. Um Randy Graff will come to your table. She's going to ask you for an adjective. She's going to ask you for a city. She's going to ask you for a number. Who knows what she's going to ask you for? But they go to every table. So if you're a fan of someone, it's a different kind of interaction because the transaction isn't, oh, I love you. Will you sign my playbill? It's Randy Graff leading in, needing something from you and saying, I need a noun. I need a this. And then you going, uh, 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 Randy Graff needs a noun because sometimes people get starstruck. Um, and then, you know, you give her a noun and you tell her chair if you're really boring or you tell her any fill in the blank. Or you tell her whatever you want to tell her. But she then writes it down. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, she's saying your word, like you're, you're scripting things for Randy Graff. Um, so there's that part of it, which is for a theater lover is really, really fun. Um, for a comedy lover who isn't necessarily a huge Broadway fan, I think everything we've talked about in up to this point is reason enough to come. Um, the, there is just widespread shenanigans and there's so many opportunities for you to influence the evening. As an audience member, a lot of times your energy and your response is what influences the evening. That's your input to the evening is you're receiving stuff and then you're throwing back some enthusiasm and some appreciation and that's how the night goes. This is, it's not audience participation in that we're going to stand you up and point out your bald spot and ha ha ha. It's not that. It's not, we're going to turn a spotlight on you and put you on the spot. It's audience participation in that you get to participate. You get to, uh, what is the word? Not participate. You get to contribute to the evening. So it's not about participating as much as it's about contribution. Um so that's, and really the, the basic thing is I want people to come, I want people to laugh. I want them to just like, just all enjoy the, the, the silliness that can be, you know, the most juvenile of adult humor and the least adult of adult humor. Um, and then also know that 
yes, the venue obviously is making money because you're going to buy a couple of drinks. You're going to order a meal, whatever you're going to do. That's all fine. But any proceeds are basically going directly to Riff. Um, I do not make, I, I keep nothing. Um, I may take something for paid advertising, like $35 for Facebook or whatever, but that's literally it. Otherwise, nothing comes to me. Nothing goes to any of the performers. None of the performers get a stipend. Um, it is entirely like a volunteer thing. So it really is like, it, it, it play comes from a good place. It's a big hearted show. As dirty as it has gotten, has has been. It's still a very, you know, it's, it's a big hearted show. It's a, it's a room full of adults. Like, let's be real. Is, we're all children at the end of the day, but we're like I, children with that that more knowledge of like, hee hee hee. Yeah. I recommend the venue that 16 and older because, you know, even if you're the cool parent, your daughter, you know, your 10 year old kid has heard someone say fuck no, before. It's no, like, well, no. that's fine. But the adult at the next table is not going to say those words in front of your 10 year old kid. They're just not going to do it. Um, and we have done, like I have done early shows. Uh, I have some friends with a the theater up in Maine. We did an early show to keep it family friendly. I took this show um, as written. I took it to Scotland. I took it to the Fringe Festival a few years ago. And we did a week up there, 10 in the morning. Parents, teachers, kids lost their minds. It was like I had invented this idea of wordplay. Like it was, it was magical. Um, so it is still very youth friendly when it's aimed at kids. Um, and it, it's funny. So riff got involved because i decided on a whim i loved riff when i was a kid and like i remember them bringing books into school like riff and scholastic like in grade school when i was a kid they were sort of the, the organizations that came in um and scholastic i think is more of a commercial operation but riff yeah, is a non book fairs in that yeah 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 and so and so riff came to mind so i was like you know what? i'm gonna do this like riff fine whatever and i sent up my press release we had some casting early and whatever and that was the thing well it got caught in a google alert and so the director of marketing reached out to me for Riff and was like, hey, this is awesome. Like, we're still a small, scrappy organization. We're not millions and millions of people. So we would like to get behind this if we could. So um, hopefully this week, they're sending out an email to some of their donors in the area because they're, they're a DC-based organization, but they've got a pretty good profile up here in New York. Um, and so they're, you know, they're reaching out being like, Hey, look, this guy's supporting us. It's for adults. It's for adults. Even though Riff is there, like it's for adults. Um, and I'm hoping that that works out uh, in the spring. There may be an opportunity for me to do something with kids with right. Riff at a Barnes and Noble, where it's like a whole, it's like a whole different kettle of fish, if you will. But, um, but also it's the same exact show. Yeah. Um, so it's just whoever your audience is. Well, you've kind of, you've kind of answered this, but I, I, I guess that maybe I'll ask it as a clarifying question, but who do you sure. have access to the show? I mean, in its current form, everybody, um, it's it, theater lovers, comedy lovers. Um, the room is in Midtown. It's 42nd and 10th. It's so easy to get to. We uh, intentionally lowballed the prices. Um, so the prices are actually, I think, 5, 15, 20, and 30 or something like that. But then the room includes a $10 credit. So the tickets are like 15 25, 35, 40, I think, or something like that. But if you bought a $40 ticket, you're ringside. So you're staring at Randy Graff's shoes. You're looking her in the face and $10 of that already goes toward your evening and there is no additional minimum. So if you if you paid $40, you go see the show, you get a Diet Coke, it's basically free because you haven't even eaten into the $10 and that's your night. So it's not about turning this into, some of the rooms can get very expensive very quickly. Um, and this isn't that show. Now I have done, um, 
we've done one-off events, which is what I did for a period of time where I only did like one a year. Um, I did one for the ACLU back in, I think 2017. And I had Kathleen Turner. I had like, I had some amazing people who have come in and done the show because it's an event that it's benefiting a charity that's near and dear to them. And it isn't quite a regular thing. So there's something special about it because it's like, it's a one-off. I may still do some of those. Even if we, let's just say this monthly thing runs for two years. I still might next summer be like, hey, let's do this for, I don't know, the ASPCA. Let's do this for Broadway Cares. Let's do this for whoever. Um, and we'll still try to do, you know, like a one-off event, but maybe we pause the monthly one in between. Because right now the show as a as a show, as fun as it is, and as much as the room is full of laughter, I have like less than 300 followers on Instagram. Like people, I have, I have zero subscribers to my, my email blast. Like it's under a hundred subscribers to my email blast. So like, even though people come and have an amazing time, they don't engage with it. They're there to see Randy Graft and Mark Kudish and Geneva Carr and Jennifer Dyke and Todd Bonapane and Arnie Burton. That's who they came to see. Um, and so I, I feel like the, the fleeting sort of magic of the show being that cast dynamic in the evening, um, people feel like they've seen it. And it's like, but, but come back. Like, this is why it's so cheap. Come back so you can see it again. And then you know, the same way the cast who have done it once before, now you know um, that when someone asks you for a noun, you don't have to say chair. You can say a broken office chair I stole from my third job. That's still a noun. And then that poor actor has to get up there and say, I didn't drop a broken office chair I stole from my third job. Like it gets funnier and funnier. Um, In a perfect world, there'll be a rep company of this where you go get my lines and I go get your lines. And then we're both just screwed when we start to read it. That's like in a perfect world where then it really is sort of improv because you haven't even been able to sort of nudge them to help them give you words that work. Instead, I've gone out and sabotaged you with words that they've given. And then you're just doing a cold read like that in my if I ever get to do a tour, that's how we do it. That's how we do a tour. Um, Oh, that would be fun. That would be fun. And just watching them like open their books and just look and just seeing the look of, oh, my God. And then they just look at the audience of like, you filthy people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 100% it. It's 100% it. Because it all came from inside the room. The call is yep. coming from inside the house. Like and, it's all it's all there. And then you uh, try to figure out who was it that suggested what. And you oh, know oh, it's oh. not those people. You're like, oh, I'm sure it was that guy that suggested this filthy <laughs> thing. Meanwhile, sweet little grandma over there just sipping her little like <laughs> seltzer water, you know. Oh. It is actually, the again, back to that very, very first show um, with Nancy, someone, it wasn't her line, but one of the cast members, one of the nouns that someone had given that evening was dental dam, which is why I just said it earlier, because it was in my head. And she stopped the entire show and she said, who said dental dam? And someone raised her hand and she's like, that's what I'm talking about. Like she, she stopped everything because she wanted that person to get acknowledged. Um, so yeah, it is. And again, there's a little bit of looseness there too. When you've got people who are used to working a room or people who are comfortable working a room, but they also know I'm going to do this bit and then I'm going to hand it right back over to the people who are next to me, as opposed to I'm a one person operation and these other five people are just here to serve me. Um, which happens like there, there are some, there are some entertainers who are used to being on a stage alone and they aren't used to listening. 
And so it is it is very difficult for them to adapt to waiting for your line and wait and responding that when someone else says something funny, it's great when the other five people up there on the stage are crying because all they have in their script is swung a noun. Like they don't know what the word is until it comes out of your mouth because it's only in your script. So it really is like everyone is surprised as each word comes out. So it is it is kind of a there's an excitement to that, too. That's silly and ridiculous. Hey, have you seen us lately calling all the shots, even with the ninja roster? Time to know it's time to believe that the time is now that we're going to make it bleed. Top shelf is always open. That's the place where Kessler rocks the water bottle floating. Daniel and Henrik are always causing pain with the tip to tape pass that'll mesmerize your brain. Pearl's flying at you with the heat as clean as Mrs. Cleaver from the show. Leave it to Beaver. The Wongo's glove hand sticks side has a double stack. Gives the opposition a score heart attack. Well, I want to turn the conversation now a bit on you, more on you, I should say. Uh, and I want to start by asking you what shows in the past have inspired you or that you love. And since oh. you're a writer uh, as well, what playwrights or composers do you love? Oh, my God. Well, as you may or may not have noticed, my head is a room full of rubber balls. So we're just <laughs> going to grab these in whatever order I can catch <laughs> one. Um, uh, Sondheim is a huge influence. Um, I grew up in Maine. Um, so weirdly, Stephen King also huge influence. Um, uh, my sense of humor is very dark. Um, and I have learned through trial and error to cut it with levity. Um, so it doesn't mean my sense of humor is not very, very dark because in fact it is, but, um, but my, my public sense of humor is a little bit more, you know, tempered, um, this show, especially the, so what have I seen? Let me see. Uh, we saw Kimberly Akimbo at the Atlantic last season, and it's phenomenal. Vicki Clark is phenomenal. Uh, Bonnie is phenomenal. Um, we've got tickets to see it in a couple of weeks, and I cannot wait. Um, what other like new stuff? There's been some really good new stuff, and this is this is why I hate these questions because then my brain goes whoop, it's gone. Um, that pops into my head immediately. We. So POTUS, which you just brought up, also laughed my butt off. Um, POTUS was a scream. Again, that cast, those women were up there like busting a, a, a leg every single night. And that was hilarious. We walked out of there saying, Rachel Trash is getting a Tony for this, which was hilarious. So we, we saw early, early on and she got nominated. I was like, okay, all right, Rachel Trash, you get up there and get that nomination. Um, I don't know if you've seen the photos of her. She's playing Big Julie in Guys and Dolls now down in, uh, in D.C. No. Look up the pictures because she looks like Gomez from the Adams Family. They've got her dressed in a full suit with a little pencil mustache. So I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with the character beyond that one photo. That's all I've seen. But that photo killed me dead. Um, Even more reason to go down there and see this now. You can't. Sold out. Um, yeah, it is sold out like literally to the rafters from what I understand. Um other other stuff so writers are easier because the writers that have stuck around me forever stephen king is a huge one edward gory if you know who edward gory is um he's an author illustrator he did i don't know if you ever watched um mystery on pbs when you would have probably been a teenager because you're a bit younger than i am i think um but mystery on pbs had the pen and ink drawings they were all black and white like oh yeah turn falls from the sky and things well his sense of humor is very much like i'm done with this story now he just ends it when he's ready to end it. He doesn't care. And all of his his drawings are the same way. There's little things hidden in them and the characters are great. But Edward Gorey is, a, is a, definitely a big influence on me. Um, 
And then, you know, I have a BA in performance and a master's in directing, and I studied educational theater at NYU. And I like, I've got, you know, all of that stuff. There's, there's a t- Carol Churchill and Marsha Norman and Ibsen and all the stuff that none of that goes away once you've absorbed it. So it's all in there. Um, I'm a huge uh, nerd, as I said, for words. Um, Whose line is it anyway? Was one of my favorite shows. I have zero loyalty to TV programs. I'm really awful about it. But like that show, there are certain ones that I do really love, um, and they tend to be offbeat or canceled, or you know, kind of quirky. Like there, that's this kind of. I, I like the I like the periphery of of entertainment a lot. Um, uh, I don't remember the rest of the questions. What were the other questions? Other things I've seen recently. Am I allowed to cheat? Can I pull up Playbill on my phone? Yeah, I was um, going to say that's my next question, which is have you seen any great theater lately that you'd recommend? And you you did bring up uh, Kimberly Akimbo. Kimberly Akimbo is, is, um, is phenomenal. Um, yeah. And uh, Victoria Clark is mad. And we saw the original. Um, I can't think of the woman who played Kimberly in the play version. Um, I think it was at Manhattan Theater Club back in the day. And uh, and it was great. Um, it was very funny. David Lindsay Bear is like a very, very, very funny writer. And all his stuff is quirky. It's character driven. It's crazy scenarios. Um, and they managed to, okay, I'm closing your ad playbill. Why are you ruining my day? Um, no, playbill doesn't want me to look at their list. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Hold on. I can sneak around it though. Ain't no mo. I have heard good things about. I'm yeah. very, very, very excited to see that. Um what else goes? Oh, Beetlejuice, I really enjoyed. I really yes. liked Beetlejuice. I went in sort of, you know, we saw it in, in DC and I was like, oh, that was kind of fun. It felt a little long, but it was good. And the cast they really retooled it. But they really sorted stuff out. Um, I mean, you know, Hamilton, there's some things that just go without saying. Hamilton is just, we also saw the second or third preview of that. Um, and it was like three hours and 15 minutes long or something like that. And by the end of it, you felt like you've been assaulted in the ears. It was amazing. And how they managed to cut that thing back and still feel like you still walk away shaking a little bit because of all the information yeah. you've absorbed. Um, we saw Leopold Stat, also wonderful, really a wonderful night of theater. Um, and what's funny is, so I was, I've mentioned Harry Potter earlier. I was never a huge Harry Potter fan. I'd seen the movies, but I never read the books. And then I finally read the books via Audible. So I listened to, you know, so um, uh, who did I just tell you? Jim Dale. So Jim Dale uh, sort of read the books to me via Audible, which is delightful. So then we went to uh, London to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And it was, I was like, what is even happening in front of me right now? I have done theater for easily 40 years. Um I've done technical theater. I've done backstage theater. I've done big theater. I've done small theater. I've done theater here and there and everywhere. And I know how things work. Like I don't get surprised a lot. Um, There were easily a dozen moments of Harry Potter where I was like, what, what, what? And that was, it was like being a kid again because you couldn't be like, oh, that was cool. But in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, that's because they did this with that and they lit from this way. And, oh, there's a trap. And there's like there were things where you watch three people just go into a phone booth and you're like, were they balloons? What? How? How? In front of you. It wasn't CGI because I saw it happen. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what they would do because, again, they closed during COVID um, and they retooled only in the U.S. For the Broadway production, they retooled it into a one night thing now. So it's not two evenings anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is pretty great 
it it moves along very quick. Um, and all of the amazing theater magic is in it still. Like none of that stuff got cut. Yeah. Um, a lot of exposition and narrative that was interesting and it was cool. I feel like if you were a total fan of the of the canon of books, I think it might have meant more to you than just as a regular audience member. Right. I think they kind of found a balance of let's keep the novices interested. Let's give the diehards enough that they're going to be happy they came. And then let's sort of find this sweet spot of, uh, and it's hard because that thing's a machine. Like you, your fanhood of Harry Potter is different than your wife's fanhood of Harry Potter is different than my, like everyone has a different thing in it because it's such a huge body of work. So everyone wants different things from it. Some people only want the movies. If it's not Daniel Radcliffe, it's not Harry Potter. It's like, well, that's wrong, but yeah. you know, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so it is that that was that's the kind of thing. War Horse, a lot of stuff that comes out of London, like because it they tend to let things gestate longer. They get really fascinating people involved. They have an idea and they let it ruminate and they let it grow legs. And they like War Horse was phenomenal. Um, Matilda was phenomenal. Oh, my God, I love Matilda. Uh, I would sit and watch that right now. I would just stop my day and just go watch Matilda right now if I could. Um, there was a show that did not run very long. I think it was from the National Theater called Corum Boy. C-O-R-A-M, Corum Boy. Yes. And I'm going to butcher the plot, but it was these two kids. Um, it's kind of a Charles Dickensy time period. And there's, I think, songs by Handel or Handel are being sung by like this chorus up on the second level. It was this crazy show, but it was so dark. And the Corum Boy, there was a, a house that took, you know, wayward children or children born out of wedlock or, you know, the disgrace to the family. And they would, you know, you give them $50 and they take the kid away or whatever. And um, spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know the story, they're not bringing the kids to the orphanage. They're burying them in the woods. So like in the second act, you see them make this discovery of what's actually happening. And it was like heartbreaking and jaw dropping and ghastly. And at the same time turned into something so beautiful because these two kids that weren't done away with had found each other. Like it, the, the story was all over the place and it was so long ago that I really can't. All I remember is my emotional like the the feeling I had leaving was just like, this thing is amazing. It is not for everybody. It's really intense, but it's also incredibly high when it goes high. And it, it really, really, really was an amazing evening of theater. Um, and I like surprises, you know, I like surprises. theater the surprises and the ramen noodles um, <laughs> uh, my favorite part of working in the theater is theater um i you know i started i started out as uh wanting to be a performer because that's all that i understood and then as you sort of grow and learn you're like oh there's directors and there's stage managers and there's designers and there's costumers and there's people who sell the tickets and there's people who produce it and there's the people who do the marketing there's people like broadway is is a monstrous industry um which may or may not qualify as theater um theater for me 
Uh, I I just want to be in a dark room telling stories. Like I love a dark room and I love a story. Um, I want a, I want a campfire story. I want a fake campfire. I'll tell you a story. I want a stage light. I'll tell you a story. Um, I'll sit in the dark and you can tell me a story. And I honestly, I will listen to anyone tell any story. Um, it, it really, th that is the thing that, that gets me. Um, I love actors who love acting. Um, I don't give a shit if you want to be a star, um, at all. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Um, and I, if you want to be a one person operation, God love you, go be an influencer or whatever, whatever you want to be. But, um, but if, if you're on a stage, it really does go back to those stupid exercises that you, you rolled your eyes at at 13 years old, where 35 of us were walking around the stage, making eye contact, but not running into each other. And it was like, oh, but you know what? The first time I did Hello, Dolly, or the first time I did My Fair Lady, I knew where the entire cast was the whole night because my peripheral vision was so like on point because of those stupid exercises. Like this stuff is cumulative, but I really do. There's a there's an artistry to being in theater. I don't care about film that much. Like I love a good movie, but I'm not a movie person. Um, and I've already sort of peed on television. Like I'm just, I'm really bad at being loyal to stuff uh, where it's episodic or it's a serial thing. Or I mean, Netflix and those have made it easier because you, if you really love Shit's Creek, I can watch five in a row and that's different to me. Then that's a little bit more enjoyable um, because, you know, growing up where you had to be someplace at Tuesday at eight or you missed it because it was right. pre-TiVo, pre-everything else. Um, it was like, you know, I don't really want to commit to that. I'd rather be at rehearsal. Um, but so, yeah, it's it, theater is my it's in my in my bones. Yes. Yes. Well said. Well, my favorite question to ask us, um, I'm looking forward to asking you, which is what is your favorite theater memory? Uh, I literally have two that hit simultaneously and they're both very quick. So I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two. Oh, I, I love was 12 it. years old. I was Kurt in The Sound of Music, but it was the high school play. So it may as well have been Broadway because um, I was in sixth grade and they were all, you know, they'd all been through puberty. So they were all magical adults. Um and we rehearsed it. It was great. And I was like a little show off. I could belt all the, all the songs. That was all super easy, whatever. And the first actual performance was a Wednesday matinee for all the schools. So our first performance was, was mostly in front of kids and teachers, whatever. And even though I was always like a bit of an oddball, um, my senior book, I was most independent. Um, I, uh, I somehow got struck with stage fright. And I was like, I was shivering. I was upset. I was like, I, I was blank. I was clammy. I was sweaty. It was awful. And conveniently, the, the girl playing Maria, whose name was Christian, uh, she came over with the piano blanket they had taken out of the pit because we were using the piano in the show. And she wrapped me in the piano blanket. And she told me, everything's going to be fine. You're going to love this. And she was 100% correct. And that was, I'm not joking, 40 years ago. Um, and that was amazing. My favorite other end of that spectrum is I did an awful, awful, awful non-equity tour many years ago. And we were on an enormous stage um, in, I think, Detroit. It was like some monstrous 3,000 seat place. And uh, I was just trapped on stage because the actor who was supposed to come on had food poisoning from breakfast. And I was just out on the stage by myself around this little campfire. I won't go into the details of the show because no one needs to Google it. And I'm waiting and I'm looking and one of the cast members pops his head. I was like, how's everything going? And I was like, it's quiet. It's very quiet. 
and I just looked at him fully back back to the audience, like, what's happening? And then eventually the actor came out and he was like green and he was not, and we got to the show and it was, but it was like, that was one of those moments where you're like, what happens if no one ever comes on? What happens if I'm all alone in front of 3000 kids in Detroit wondering what the hell's happening with this man? It was kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, that was, there's so many shenanigans and hijinks that have happened, but those are my two favorite. Cause one is someone in the right place at the right time, absolutely speaking the truth. And then someone who never showed up like it's it's kind of two ends of the but those when you asked me the question they both they were like oh which one <laughs> oh my gosh those are both incredible i can't even imagine like being stuck on a stage and be like yep and and there was no story to tell like it, it was a, it was at a point in the show where someone had to enter because that was the next phase of the show and if you don't enter and everything was pre-recorded on a track. So it's like the band could play a song again. I'll just sing something else for you. Like it was nothing. It was just, it was, it was crickets and tumbleweeds. You're literally just staring at the fire, contemplating. You're yeah. like, I have nothing left yeah. to contemplate. I think I organized some backpacks by color. Like I was just like, I'm just going to keep moving things and keep Enter Christian with the piano blanket just to walk <laughs> on and be like, it's going to be okay. Where is she now? Where is she uh, now? Uh, Why isn't she in Detroit with me? Uh, <laughs> The best thing about that tour, though, although it was awful in an awful lot of ways, was I, a couple of people on it are absolutely lovely human beings that I'm still friends with. And I saw theaters in 20 states in a period of 12 weeks, and some of them were phenomenal. And some of them were awful, but the people were phenomenal. It was oh, like this cool. uh, we played this little podunk. 10 foot ceiling or nine foot ceiling theater, I think in West Virginia or Virginia on some little, you know, mountain town where we had to load the set in through a stage door that was street level, step on a radiator and then go down to the stage. Like that's how, and you've never seen a more supportive group of kids. Like it. So like we did get to see an awful lot. There's a lot of, and there's a lot of theater out there. Like there's a lot of local theater that's yeah. th then we all moved to New York, some of us. And it's like, we have a great time. And there's a lot of people who stay home and they stay put and they keep doing theater where they are. It does not have to be Broadway. So, yeah. Are there any other uh, productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Um, well, I have this monthly at Greenwood 42. Um, I am going to be doing a solo show for the first time in 25 years at Greenwood uh, 42 on Friday, February 3rd. Um, I have some other writing projects that I'm I, that don't have any sort of deadline on them or anything like that. Um, but they're, you know, I've got some stories that are in my head. Um, I've got a couple of scripts um, that are in progress, but need a little love and some time and the joys of doing theater and a day job and a thing and a thing and a thing is that time tends to be the a bit of a liability. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, please keep us posted about your solo show and, and some of these projects. Um, if our listeners want to get more information about um, Villain de Blanks uh, or about you or they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Um, VillainDeBlanks.com. Sounds like fill-in, but it's villain like a bad guy. So V-I-L-L-A-I-N-D-E-B-L-A-N-K-S. Villain de Blanks. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's Villain de Blanks is the handle. I'm on Facebook. Villain de Blanks is the hand. De Blanks is the handle. Uh, Twitter is the wild card. It's V de Blanks. 
Um, and I don't really do a lot on Twitter, but uh, Insta and, and uh, Facebook, I try to get onto. Um, I am Villain de Blank. So if you reach out to the Villain de Blank's website, you are essentially emailing me. Um, and then, you know, if you have other questions, we can take it from there. But um, but yeah, so that's, uh, I look forward to seeing everyone Tuesday at 7 p.m. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Well, Billy, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today and just this has been a blast. It's entertaining me already. If this is a sneak peek <laughs> of the show, I can't wait. So thank I'm you telling so you, much. All this energy's in there because it's my baby. <laughs> my guest today has been Billy Mitchell, who's the creator of Villain to Blanks, uh, currently a monthly show playing at Green Room 42. The next show is Tuesday, October 18th. And all the proceeds from the show are going to benefit. Reading is fundamental. So it's a great cause, an incredible show. And you can get tickets and more information at villaindeblanks.com. And you can also find them on Instagram and Facebook at villaindeblanks or on Twitter at vdeblanks. Um, that's also how you can get a hold of Billy. And we're going to post all of this information on our episode description and on our social media. Um, so make sure to get your tickets because I know I'm going to be attending one of these. This just sounds incredible. So. so until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Benji Menji, David Blair, Evan Schaefer, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.